0: That's why there's Dr. Clapper.
1: Dr. Clapper is the former head of orthopedic surgery
0: at Cedar Sinai. The Weekend Warrior Show with Dr. Clapper, presented by Cedar Sinai. Hey, Dr. Clapper, how are you? Saturday mornings from seven to nine. Silence
2: is golden when you can't think of a good answer.
0: (laughs) Yes, Doc, I love your show. Now here he is, Dr. Robert Clapper.
2: Welcome back, Weekend Warriors. Each and every Saturday, thanks for listening, making the show so popular, and thanks for telling all your friends and family. Steve Paulette, right by my side, he's ten and a half years. Los Angeles this week was the center of the universe for orthopedic surgery, because in the NBA, one of the greatest players, Kawhi Leonard, had his ACL reconstructed. And in the world of mixed martial arts... Conor McGregor had his tibia fixed here in Los Angeles. Los Angeles, for those of you who live here, many of you listening, people listen on the computer all over the world, which is really fun for us to hear about. But LA, we are the center of the universe for not only orthopedic surgery, but for all kinds of surgery. Alfredo Trento, greatest heart surgeon. You need a heart valve or a heart transplant, that's who I'm going to, Alfredo Trento. If you need a liver transplant, at 815, you're going to this guy, Dr. Stephen Calhoun. And I love showcasing the surgeons that I work with, so you get a chance to hear them from Cedar sinai where I've worked my entire career. I'm like Kobe Bryant, on the Lakers for the entire career. You know who also was a player in sports their entire career? He was a Yankee. He was my favorite baseball player until Mike Trout came along. But my favorite baseball player, Mickey Mantle, had a liver transplant, needed the work of someone like Dr. Calhoun. And in music, we've been playing music all show from David Crosby, one of the greatest singer-songwriters of my lifetime in the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame for not only the Birds but for Crosby, Stills, and Nash. Hepatitis C, most likely from heroin, and his use of heroin, led to his liver transplant, but he beautifully has survived. He's 80 years old next month, and his songs and his contribution to to the world has been epic. But David Crosby, had a liver transplant, and it was successful. Mickey Mantle died soon after his liver transplant. I want you to hear some sound bites from both of them. From Mickey Mantle. Mickey Mantle, who was he in baseball? This is Bob Costas talking about him.
0: Mystique. It's important to understand the context of his career and the era he represents. Baseball was still unquestionably the national pastime. The Yankees were still the best and most glamorous team in all of sports. And Mickey Mantle seemed to embody the game's mythology. A big, blonde kid from Oklahoma, arriving in New York literally carrying a straw suitcase, about to replace Joe DiMaggio in center field for the mighty Bronx Bombers.
2: But we don't appreciate the stress Mickey Mantle had for this gift he was given. His father died from Hodgkin's lymphoma his uncles two of them and even his son one of his sons died how much did this torture him that he's here on borrowed time the burden and it led him to drink
0: do you think you just fell into the lifestyle of so many ballplayers of your era or do you think you drank to fill some space in your
3: life no uh... i'll tell you the truth i, I think it was just the, the lifestyle you know like um uh... The ball game's over. You have two or three beers at the ballpark. Uh, if we're on the road, uh, we go back to the hotel on a bus. Uh, you get your group together, and there's a lot of cocktail parties, you know, in the winter times. Uh,
2: Bob Costas then asked asked him, "I sound like Michael Thompson." Asked him, then asked him, "Did you ever play drunk?"
3: One time, Bobby Lane, the old quarterback in Detroit, uh, the Detroit Lions. Uh, he was in town in Detroit one time. He took me out one night and uh, we drank way too much that night and uh, the next day I went up to hit and I didn't take batting practice or infield or anything and uh, I could have hurt the team that day but the first time up I took the first pitch right down the middle and I yelled at the umpire and I I know you remember I didn't usually argue with umpires and I just made him kick me out of the game because I had no business in that game. Mickey
2: Mantle, why did you drink?
3: I always had the sense that there was a sadness about
0: you. I mean, we all have some regret, but I always felt that there was quite a bit of sadness about you. In retrospect, was that true? Yeah.
3: I think that when I did drink a little too much or something, it kind of relieved the tension that I felt within myself, maybe, because I hadn't been what I should have been. Because you hadn't been the ball player you
0: felt you should have been? Or the daddy. In
2: 1995, it all fell apart. He was dying from his liver because of alcohol. He only lived to be 63 years old. Terrible. But this is Bob Costas giving the eulogy at Mickey Mantle's funeral, talking about that last moments in his life when he had the liver transplant. It didn't really save his life and give him much time but what a gentleman he always was and what he did in his last days to encourage people to actually donate their organs.
0: The sheer grace of that ninth inning, the humility, the sense of humor, the total absence of self-pity, the simple eloquence and honesty of his pleas to others to take heed of his mistakes. All of America watched in admiration. His doctors said he was, in many ways, the most remarkable patient they'd ever seen. But it was too late for Mickey Mantle. His bravery so stark and real that even those used to seeing people in dire circumstances were moved by his example. Because of that example, organ donations are up dramatically all across America. A cautionary tale has been honestly told and perhaps will affect some lives for the better. And our last memories of Mickey Mantle are as heroic as the first. In the world of
2: art, where the liver transplant was tremendously successful, was was this guy, David Crosby. David Crosby talking about what it was like to be on death's door,
4: what it was like to have his liver transplanted. Hello and thanks. I'm curious about how you managed to keep such a positive and upbeat attitude in the face of your illnesses over the years. I've had and have several serious health diagnoses, and there are days I just feel so less than I did from five years ago mentally and physically. Did you have days like this, and if so, how did you address those feelings?
2: This is David Crosby. Rolling Stone magazine did a beautiful thing of sitting down with him and having him take questions from fans. And here he's going to talk about death's door with his liver from hepatitis C from being a heroin addict.
4: Physical stuff is really tough. Yeah, I've had a lot. I did 72 days in UCLA hospital. 72 days. Dying. It is insanely difficult. First of all, do you have health care? A lot of us don't. Secondly, can they do anything? You have to find some core of strength within yourself to hold on to. Otherwise, you're going to just be adrift. Cross, I have a year clean from cocaine and heroin, and I think I can start smoking some pot. What's a good strain to keep me from getting back on coke and smack as if that was a strain? You <laughs> 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 Yeah, if I smoke this particular kind of pot, it'll no. A year clean may not be enough. I had 14 and a half years absolutely clean. Nothing, not even a beer, before I smoked any pot. There's a way you can sort of tell. uh, It's when the slip dreams go away.
2: David Crosby answering questions about drugs and drug use. Listen, as a creative musician, singer, songwriter, his state of mind, his head needs to be a little bit out there. But he's also going to give in his answer. You'll get to hear his philosophy about life as well. But him being picked on and his success with his liver transplant allows him in this avenue to truly be an expert to steer people away from the mistakes that he made. Listen to him answer these questions.
4: But after a year, I wouldn't. Not if you were addicted to coke and heroin. Coke and heroin take you over the way fire takes over a building and they don't give up easy. If you are an addictive personality and you were strung out on, on uh, heroin and coke, well, I wouldn't be jumping into anything, not beer or wine or pot or anything else. I'd give yourself some time in sobriety before you try that. Just my advice.
2: And this last soundbite from David Crosby is the best advice to someone who writes in and says, Hey, I think, uh, I'm thinking of trying heroin just once, just to see what it's like. Thank God David Crosby had his liver transplanted, that he could still be around to tell this guy, please don't, it won't work. You can't just try it and it will kill you, as it almost killed me.
4: Dear David, I'll cut right to the point. I'm curious to know what it feels like to do heroin, and I want to know, and I want to try it. I won't become an addict. (laughs) Yes, you will. I just want to try it once. Nobody ever managed to try it once, man. It doesn't work like that. You try it once, you'll try it again. It's really subtle and really evil and really strong, and it will get you. Don't try it. Don't experiment with it. It's like experimenting with a nightmare. Oh, I want to experiment with the feeling of being strangled. Flat out, no. Don't ever go anywhere near heroin or coke or speed. They will ruin your life and take it away from you.
2: And take it from David Crosby, because it did. He was rescued by a liver transplant and a liver transplant surgeon. That's a beautiful thing. We'll learn more about this intricate, difficult, but successful operation from a man who does it better than anybody else, the great Dr. Steve Calhoun, who's joining me next here on The Weekend Warrior Show on 710 ESPN. (laughs)
5: Check out the Weekend Warrior Facebook, Know Your Knee 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 Post. Post, one of the most complicated areas of the body, ACL, PCL, MCL. Patella Supplication. Really? Dr. Clapper translates the language of your knee Dr. on the Weekend Warrior Facebook page. Whoa. Simply type in Weekend Warrior in the search bar and click on Doc's picture. Wow! Your knee feels better already. Damn right. Like, follow, and feel better Hello there. with the Weekend Warrior Facebook
0: page. Hey, it's Sedano. You know there's no better way to start your Saturday than when my guy,
6: Dr. Clapper, and the Weekend Warrior Show, 7 to 9 a.m., Saturday mornings. What's going on, L.A.? This is Kobe Bryant. Sometimes you can call me Smokey. Sometimes you can call me Rocky. Start your weekend off right, listening to the Weekend Warrior Show with Dr. Clapper. Today, I want to be Tito, Dr. Tito Clapper. Every Saturday morning from 7 to 9 a.m. on ESPN, 710, home of your Los Angeles Lakers. The gold!
2: Welcome back, Weekend Warriors. David Crosby saying there's so much time to make up. He's got time for one reason. That a liver surgeon skilled in transplanting a liver saved his life so that he could have time to be able to write and sing songs like that. And I'm joined now by the best in the business, Dr. Stephen Calhoun.
1: Stephen, thanks so much for getting up early to be with us. Hey, my pleasure. It's always uh, fun to talk with Dr. Clapper.
2: (laughs) Listen, Michelangelo, my hero, I'm a sculptor in marble. He's dead 500 years. I can't talk to him. But I just think it's such a treat to be able to talk to you because my professor, Dr. Ranawat, taught me the eyes don't see what the mind doesn't know. (laughs) But in the case of radio, my ears don't hear what my mind doesn't know. So I want you to listen, if you don't mind, Dr. Calhoun, to a soundbite of a man who kills himself essentially slowly with alcohol, was rescued by a liver transplant surgeon, but it didn't really work. And I want you to tell us what you hear when you hear Mickey Mantle speak. Listen to this.
0: Despite three MVP awards and more than 500 home runs, Mantle left baseball haunted by the feeling he should have been better. So you told me once that when you retired in 1969, your first year out of baseball, you sat there depressed, thinking that regardless of the fact that you had a Hall of Fame career, that you'd screwed up.
3: <laughs> well, I did. I mean, uh, and, and I, 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 that's what we've said before. I, I feel like that when I retired in 1969, I felt so bad about it, that I really believe that's the reason. I, now, that's when I started drinking for a reason, I think, maybe.
2: When you hear that in Mickey Mantle's description, justification, whatever you want to call it, what do you hear?
1: Well, I hear some regrets and uh, probably a trap that a lot of people fall into and one that uh, should be avoided. <laughs> no mm-hmm. question about it.
2: I want to know a little bit so the listeners know a little bit about you, Stephen. Where did you grow up? Where did you go to high school, college, and oh. what? when When did Cupid come out of the sky and shoot you in the chest and say, yep, I want to do liver surgery?
1: <laughs> well, I, I'm from San Diego a couple of generations uh, worth of that and went to high school uh, ultimately in Orange County at Mission Viejo High School and wow. went to UC Irvine for, for college. I'm a local guy, I hmm. guess. What did your dad do for a living? He was uh, he worked for the county of San Diego as kind of an engineer and a communications expert. Hmm. So nothing to do with healthcare.
2: <laughs> Who inspired you to go into medicine?
1: Uh, you know, um, I think my mom had some illnesses over the years, and and I saw her deal with that, and I was inspired by the, by the the success because she had a cancer, I think, three different times, but she died of of old age in her nineties. So kind of a victory for healthcare. Um, so that might've been an inspiration. Otherwise, um, you know, you gotta do something with your time.
2: (laughs) And how about liver diseases and liver surgery or surgery in general? Who inspired you to do that?
1: So I, I think I, you know, when I went to medical school, as probably most people do, you don't know a lot about whatever the options might be. And I think the, the kind of definitive instant gratification of surgery was probably what drew me into that, and uh, actually started off in in one area of surgery and ended up in another, and so a uh, part of that's just uh, you know how how things play. Mm-hmm. I, I ended up at UCLA, which ended up which uh, was one of the epicenters of uh, developing liver transplantation. So I, my inspiration was uh, Dr. Busuttil at, at UCLA. Mm and uh, ultimately an opportunity came up for me to kind of follow in that direction, and I felt like I might be good at it, and so that's what I ended up doing. So.
2: Can you take us through, I mean, I'm an orthopedic surgeon, I'm a carpenter. You're like a glorified plumber. I'm a mm-hmm. glorified carpenter.
1: Exactly, yes.
2: Take us through what it is that takes 10 to 12 hours and can lose 100 units of blood. You make your incision. You do your exposure. Now you're looking at pipes that come from the upper part of your body, your arms, your head, your neck, and then pipes that come from your pelvis and your lower part of your body, the inferior vena cava, the superior vena cava, and right there in the middle is the filter of all that blood, your liver. (laughs) What exactly do you do now? You've exposed it. What do you cross-clamp first? You put them on a bypass machine. What happens?
1: Well, bypass is an option, and, you know, one of the things that happens with uh, people that need a liver transplant is they usually have cirrhosis, so that's scarring of the liver, and when the liver's scarred, blood can't flow, it, uh, flow through it so easily, so there's a lot of alternate pathways that develop, and so that, that can be treacherous, just all those little blood vessels that, are, that aren't meant to handle the traffic, so we have to deal with some of that, but we, we deal with the things that go in and out of the liver, uh, in sequence, and then ultimately uh the vena cava and the artery um, and you know it's a team effort it, it, it just, just to to get it out there before before we go too far you know the the person that saved uh Crosby and mantle and all these people that that was the donor you know having the organ available is is the key thing, but hmm. the transplant surgery itself is absolutely a team effort with the anesthesiologists and the nurses and a lot of players. Um, So it's a kind of a choreographed event. Um, And using bypass is one of the options that just allows the blood to flow back to the heart, which is that pump that, you know, keeps the bones and the liver alive. (laughs) Um, And uh, so it's, uh, you know, there's phases. We take the liver out and, and then get the new one prepared and, and, uh, and then sew it in. You're right, it's a lot of plumbing, um, and uh, it's kind of you know, a big deal, but it's evolved over the years. We don't usually lose so much blood these days that those numbers were mostly from the past, thankfully, mm-hmm. um, although it does happen now and then that uh, people are sick enough that uh, you know, a fair amount of blood can, can be required.
2: My uh, hobby is sculpting in marble. People always say to me, how do you see a block of stone and see the figure trapped inside. I, I can see that. And people ask me all the time what surgery is like. And I tell them it's, it's a lot like jazz. Um, Mozart, you got to play the way he wrote it and otherwise it don't sound right. But jazz, one guy gets started and then you decide what you play next. And I, th- I think of surgery as jazz and I think of surgery as sculpting and marble. Do you feel that when you open that person's abdomen up and look at their liver and you're gonna do a transplant. Do you feel sometimes, just like the stone tells me where to chisel next, what to remove next, that it is jazz. It's every time it's a little bit different and that the the anatomy actually tells you what to cross clamp next and not like the last one that you did?
1: That's absolutely true. Um and it, it is something that I, I try to tell the fellows, you know, um you don't think so much as a moat the surgery. You kind of have to, you know, train for it. And then ultimately when you're doing it, you have to think on your feet and, and just respond to the to the anatomy that you're presented with and the circumstances that, that occur during the surgery. You know, I'm a pilot, so I, I equate it to, um, you know, flying in, the, in that once you start, you've got to finish, you got to keep flying the plane. You can't pull over and check the map. Mm-hmm. Uh, you got to keep going and until you're done, and uh, you know lives are at stake. Hmm. So it, it's uh, it is true. I, I totally agree with you. It's uh, step by step. It can be overwhelming, but you just take it a step at a time and keep going.
2: Where do you keep your plane?
1: Well, you know, right now I don't <laughs> I don't have one. I'm between planes. <laughs> ah!
2: <laughs> Randy but, Sherman uh, flies. Uh, Graham uh, Gitlin flies. I have a feeling the only flying I'm going to do is in the ocean as a surfer because putting a clapper in a plane behind a cockpit may, may not be such a smart idea. Yeah, no, the metaphor of being a liver surgeon and making sure all the boxes are checked before you get off the ground is a very useful uh, skill set. Uh, that certainly is a metaphor. Well, tell us, tell us a little you, bit. Of, who needs a liver transplant, Steve Calhoun? What diseases require that? What happens? And is hepatitis the inflammation of the liver? When you do it for alcoholism and you do it for hep C from being a heroin addict, does it matter to you what caused the death of the liver? Uh, What diseases are really involved that you're dealing with?
1: Well, so you mentioned, too, alcohol and and hepatitis C. And and actually, um, they work together to damage the liver, so someone who drinks uh, and doesn't have hepatitis C might be able to go a little bit further than someone who, uh, who has both. And some people with hepatitis C never need a liver transplant. So it kind of depends uh, on, the, on the circumstances. And there are a lot of other diseases that can cause inflammation of the liver, uh, genetic diseases, autoimmune hepatitis. Um, hepatitis B is one as well that uh, should be preventable untreatable these days, hmm. as is Hepatitis C now. Um, but ultimately, uh, all of these things cause cirrhosis, and that cirrhosis is the scarring of the liver that just uh, impacts its, its function in the end. Hmm. And can also lead uh, to developing cancer, which is something that Mickey Mantle had. Uh, hmm. So we think that he, he just had a liver failure, but he had a he had liver, diseased liver that led to uh, cirrhosis and cancer. Hmm.
2: Wow. Well, I want to take a break, pay some bills. Can you stay on for another segment? I want to talk to you about the myths of organ donation, sure, if you don't absolutely. mind. All right, great. We're talking to the great Dr. Stephen Calhoun, a liver transplant surgeon at Cedar Sinai, the best in the business. And it's a real treat to break down what exactly happened to Mickey Mantle and David Crosby. Nobody knows it better than Dr. Calhoun. You're listening to the one and only Weekend Warrior Show here on 710. ESPN.
1: I am older now.
4: I have more than what I wanted, but I wish that I had started long before I did.
5: Miss an interview or Doc's weekly story? Hey, it's Mace. You know, there is no better way to start your Saturday than with Dr. Clapper
6: and the Weekend Warrior Show, 7 to 9 a.m. Saturday mornings. What's going on, L.A.? This is Kobe Bryant. Oh, my God. That's amazing. Start your weekend off right, listening to the Weekend Warrior Show with Dr. Clapper. Google the Guggenheim. Every Saturday morning from 7 to 9 a.m. on ESPN, 710, home of your Los Angeles Lakers.
7: One morning I woke up
2: Welcome back, Weekend Warriors. There's David Crosby singing about a new day. He has a new day because of surgeons like Dr. Stephen Calhoun, who gave him a new liver. Before I get into... The myths of organ donation. I just want to play another soundbite for you, Dr. Calhoun. You put all that effort into saving someone's life. Their life was cut short potentially because of drugs. It's true. Heroin's different than marijuana, and alcohol's different than heroin.
4: But when you have that grateful patient, and they sound like this. I don't see any problem with smoking. I don't smoke it before I go on before I, I sink. But that's mostly, that's not because of my throat. That's because I sort of need all the brain cells that are still holding hands to be gathered up in one area when I'm trying to remember the lyrics and and communicate with an audience. So I smoke afterwards. I hope that some helped you. He smokes every day. Now,
2: marijuana is not heroin. I get it. It's not alcohol. But do you see the frustration uh, in yourself when you have a patient who comes back and drinks again after you just save their life?
1: Yeah, I think it's frustrating. It, it's something we, you know, try to avoid by, you know, working with people before the surgery and talking with their families. And we have so, <clears throat> psychologists and social workers that are involved in the, in the whole process hmm. to that end. Um, so yeah, it's a little frustrating. It's, it's, but Specifically, it's a little bit dangerous, too, for someone who's had a liver transplant to continue to smoke marijuana anyway if that's their chosen, you know, route of using a THC because uh, it kind of puts them at risk for um, uh, fungal lung disease, which is uh, kind of a life-threatening issue in itself. So mm-hmm. I think, um, you know, without getting into the specifics of of THC use and all of its various forms, smoking in particular is obviously bad for the lungs, whether it's tobacco or marijuana, and it's particularly risky in someone who's immunosuppressed who's had a liver transplant. So Mm. it's a little discouraging, I guess, to hear. But people are, at the end of the day, you know, in charge of their own lives. And, you know, we as physicians can uh, do, you know, what we can and only so much.
2: One of the beautiful things about being a surgeon is the way you get to meet humanity. You get to meet them. From, in my case, they're in pain. They can't walk. They can't move their arms, and I kind of do the Mickey Mouse stuff compared to what you do in truly saving their lives, but I get to take their pain away, and it's, it's joyful for me uh, in that regard. What I'd love to ask you about as it relates to the myths of organ donation is that beautiful part of humanity where a person leaves to someone else their organs. Talk to me a little bit about your philosophy and how you feel about organ donation.
1: Well, you know, we can't save lives um, without the donor, obviously. And it's, uh, <clears throat> it's, it's interesting because um, the way I've always tried to look at it is, Making something good <clears throat> come out of some other tragedy when when someone becomes an organ donor it 's usually because they have uh, had an injury that 's led to them being what we call brain brain dead there 's different ways to be dead if your heart stops um, that 's one way, but the other is uh, with a with a head injury or a stroke or some kind of event that has led to, to a temporary condition which we refer to as brain death. Mm-hmm. And those are the people that can be organ donors because the organs are still, at least for a while, still alive, and, um, and we can take those. So it's a it's really a gift of life that someone can decide in advance, uh, register uh, to be a, a donor. It's actually it evolved over the years. So it used to be something that was a decision left to the family members, and that would be a difficult Decision sometimes for mm. for family members who you know aren't so sophisticated nowadays. You know we can register in advance uh, to be a donor, and then uh, the decision's made mm. um, by the person who's donating. Um, That's right. So it, it it's a it's a gift of life, and and one that uh, has uh, can in some some cases save multiple lives: heart, a liver, two kidneys, a pancreas. Um, you know, and there's there's a lot more to it than than just the the organs as well, other tissues. So it's a it's a big uh, a big thing, something that everyone should think about and and reflect on, I suppose, before something bad happens.
2: <laughs> Can I ask you about Tylenol and OxyContin? Do these drugs damage the liver?
1: So um, narcotics by themselves don't um, uh, Tylenol, if if it's taken and, and in large quantities uh, can injure the liver, um, it's pretty avoidable. Um, mm-hmm. If your liver's damaged, uh, it can take less Tylenol to do that. But mm-hmm. that's usually something that uh, leads to uh, an acute problem, a, a sudden liver failure as opposed to more of a chronic condition. So taking, taking Tylenol in the prescribed way is something that's perfectly safe. Uh, It's a little bit different in in children. The the window of therapeutic window is a little bit uh, narrower and it can be less safe, I suppose. But for adults, um, they don't take too much, it's fine. Uh, Before
2: I let you go, I got one last question. Teach us a little bit about how long someone can live after a liver transplant. What really must make you feel so good when someone comes back to see you years? after having someone else's liver in their body tell us about how long they last and tell us about some patients of yours that have really gone on to do beautiful things after their transplant
1: so at work uh the day before yesterday I got into the elevator and you know we all have masks on nowadays mm-hmm. but uh, gentleman I was on the elevator said Dr. Calhoun I had my liver transplant 18 years ago oh my I'm God. doing pretty good <laughs> wow. I didn't really recognize him but you know one of the co- more common questions is how, how long can someone live with, with a liver transplant and it's different for every organ um, mm-hmm. you know the statistics are different but the longest surviving uh, transplant recipient at any particular transplant program is someone from the very first year Wow so we have patients uh, that are, you know, I, I have patients that keep in touch with me. They're 25 Jeez. and plus years out, and little little babies that can get transplanted can die of old age. It, the big issue is the recurrence of diseases yeah. um, if they if they happen, or you know, if someone goes back to drinking. Um, but if you don't have those problems, then then that organ can serve that patient for a long time. You know,
2: Stephen Calhoun, I've been at Cedars my whole career, 32 years. It's just a building. But what makes it so special for me, what makes me so proud to work there, are the surgeons and doctors that populate, nurses that populate the building. And you are a big reason why I'm so proud to work (laughs) at Cedars. Thank you so much for making time to be with us. We know how busy you are. It's just great for people to get to hear you speak about a disease that, People like you can fix. It's just a miracle, I and mean, you make miracles happen all the time. Thanks so much for making time to be with us.
1: Well, my pleasure my honor to, to talk <laughs> with you today. Thank you very much.
2: All right, God bless you. Have a all great right. day today. That's the great Dr. Stephen Calhoun. All right, Warriors, I can feel the vibrations coming out of the lines because they're all lit up. It's almost like my phone got a little bit bigger while I'm here. I'm looking forward to talking to all of you. And don't forget, i got to tell you, where the best old-fashioned chocolate-covered donut is, because it looks like cirrhosis when you compare it to a normal chocolate donut. Hell no. It's an example. It's a clapper vision for liver disease. Not that it causes liver disease. It causes happiness. And the place to get it, I'll tell you next. Coming up next on the Weekend Warriors Show here on 710 ESPN.
5: Holy Emoji, Clapman. Weekend Warriors on Facebook.
3: Holy slip
5: disk. That's right, Robin. Hear listeners talk about their aches and pains. Holy
3: hamstrings.
5: Along with Doc's Clapper vision.
1: Breathe deeply.
5: And advice to callers.
1: On your toes, Robin.
5: So like, follow, and enjoy... A wise decision. ...the Weekend Warrior Facebook page.
1: Frankly, I can think of nothing more stimulating...
6: Hey, what's up? It's LZ. Look, you know there's no better way to start your Saturday than with Dr. Clapper and the Weekend Warrior Show. 7 to 9 a.m. Saturday mornings. What's going on, L.A.? This is Kobe Bryant. Hey, Robbie, do you like donuts? Start your weekend off right, listening to the Weekend Warrior Show with Dr. Clapper.
2: I love donuts.
6: Every Saturday morning from 7 to 9 a.m. on ESPN. 710, home of your Los Angeles Lakers.
0: Carry on, love.
2: Welcome back, Weekend Warriors. Carry on. Love is coming to us all. Well, love came to David Crosby, who's singing that song because he had his liver transplanted. The great Dr. Stephen Calhoun teaching us a little bit about it. He's so humble. Let me tell you something. When I walk next to him, I always feel like he's walking a little bit higher on cloud nine than I am. He's really saving people's lives. I'm making them happier, taking their pain away, that he really saves people's lives. He's a world-class surgeon. What a pleasure. All right, let's open the clinic. I got to tell you where to get that donut that reminds me of liver cirrhosis because it looks nasty, but it tastes delicious. And you can get it on your way to San Luis Obispo. You can stop in Ventura, California. My mouth is watering already because the greatest chocolate old-fashioned donut that you could put in your mouth comes from Good Time Donuts in Ventura and ask for Sue and tell her you're a weekend warrior and Dr. Clapper sent you. Hell yeah. But don't buy too many of them because after I go surfing tomorrow, i going to need to have one for me. So I hope she saves one for me. Oh, they're so good. I don't think they fry them. I think they bake them. But the chocolate she uses on top of that old-fashioned donut, good-time donuts, just gets me. All right, let's open the lines because we're speaking about driving to San Luis Obispo because Carlos is from San Luis Obispo. Carlos, thanks for hanging on the line for a million hours. Appreciate it.
7: Hey, thank you for having me on, Dr. Clapper.
2: My pleasure. Do me a favor. Tell me how young you are and what do you do for a living?
7: I am 47 years old. I have been a bartender for about 20-plus years but have not been able to work in about the last year and a half because of some injuries I had. Um, I had spinal fusion C5 and 6 a little over a year ago. Uh, left knee resurfaced in January, get the right knee resurfaced later this year. Okay. But I was hoping you'd give me, uh, my neurological surgeon sent me to get a second opinion on my back MRI. Okay. So I figured who better to call than you.
2: <laughs> <laughs> so you've been listening to the show for a while.
7: Uh, yeah, I started listening last year during the pandemic. Love your show. Thank you for getting up early every Saturday and doing all this right. for all of it's, us.
2: It's my pleasure, Carlos. All right. You got the MRI in front of you? Yes, sir. You just want to, the impression, I correct? just want the impression, and speak slowly so I can interrupt you with clap revision.
7: Go ahead. Okay, I understand most of it. There's one part I just don't quite get. Grade okay. one, enter, enterolos, Yep. of L4, L5.
2: Okay, so stop there right it. there. Yeah. You're only yeah. 47 years old. You're not
7: yeah,
2: a 77-year-old a- guy, so what your <laughs> young spine is already telling me is... The way the Oreo cookies, right? The bone is the cookie. The cream filling is the disc. The way your Oreo cookie is stacked, one of the cookies, not the last one, which is L5, but the one cookie up from the last one has been pulled out a little bit from the stack. And what that now does is makes a tippiness, an unstable situation, for the, my mouth is watering already because I'm thinking of eating Oreo cookies. But you're, <laughs> but you're now putting at risk and putting extra stress on all of the structures that help support the spine. The disc, the ligaments, the way the shingling of the facet joints are on the bones as they stack on top of each other. And this leads not at 47 but later to an arthritic condition because it tethers the spinal cord and the nerves that are exiting, exiting the spinal cord. Let me tell you, Carlos, you better be very careful who touches your spine because if this turns out to need surgery and you've already established that you needed and benefited from having your neck done, you better not let them just do a rotor of your lumbar spine because if they do, in their zeal to open up the hole, the foramen, to let make more space for the nerve and clean up the disc and whatnot, you will feel better temporarily. But guess what's going to happen? You will then end up needing another surgery because your pain will come back because of the instability that that initial surgery has created so you're getting my opinion there'll be other people that can disagree Gagas and Hague, they can disagree with me but my opinion for you Carlos in San Luis Obispo is you better have a fusion not a disc replacement but you better have a fusion if they're going to work on your lower back and get more than one opinion uh you should you should yeah. come to Cedars go see Pat Johnson who I just talked about go see someone of that caliber because you need to understand that you're dealing with such a young spine at 47 years old. Because of the way you were born, this is starting to present itself as unstable. And you better well, stabilize actually, it with a fusion.
7: Actually, this, this stems from being hit in football practice in Riverside in 1993.
2: Yes, uh, yes, I right that. That yes, I get that. Yes, yeah, I get that. But you, and- you have what's known as a PARS defect and that comes from birth. Here's a clapper vision for a PARS defect that I can you know, best describe to you. When you make pancakes, Carlos, right? Mm-hmm. The way you make pancakes is you take the soup ladle and you drip onto the hot griddle a pancake, right? But if you are yeah. making multiple pancakes, you drip one, one little area, then another, to make two separate pancakes. But if you're like me, you're a sloppy pancake maker, you put the one down, you put the second one uh uh-oh, now the two of them are going to coalesce and form one giant pancake. And that's what happens when you make pancakes. You want to keep them separate. Well, when we make our spine into a bony skeleton, the ossification centers that take us from being cartilage, because in the mother's womb as a baby, you're not bone. You're just this flexible cartilage that later calcifies. That's what growing older does. That's what's becoming skeletally mature is the cartilage skeleton that we are inside the mother's womb becomes a calcified skeleton. It's like those pancakes. You hit these different ossification centers that then fuse to become one big pancake, one big bone, if you will. Well, in your spine... You never got, you got the pancakes to stay separate. And that created a weakness, a PARS defect. So it's going back to the football injury. But I'm going to actually take you further back, Carlos. I'm going to take you back to before the football accident, to the fact that you actually had a PARS defect. And that is why you're dealing with this slippage, this thesis that you have. So you need someone who understands fusion in the face of a slippage as well as causing back pain. So come to Cedars. You can see Lionel Hunt. You can see uh, Pat Johnson. You can see Neil Anand. These are great surgeons that will give you great advice.
7: Thank you, Dr. Copper. I appreciate it. All right, Carlos, you're a
2: total stranger to me. I want you to find a total stranger today. Do something nice for them. That's how you'll be thanking me.
7: Always, always. Can I mention two other artists that also had liver transplant? Yes, Phil Lesh, bass player of The Grateful Dead, also had a liver transplant. And when he plays live, live, encourages everyone to fill out that card because that's why he's here today. Also, Greg Allman of the Allman Brothers Band. Hepatitis C from heroin. Also had a liver transplant.
2: There you go. There you go. Good advice. Thank you, Carlos, for (laughs) contributing (laughs) so beautifully to the show. You go find those total strangers (laughs) today and drive down to Good Time Donuts and get a chocolate old-fashioned and say hi to Sue for me. I can't
7: wait to go to Good Time Donuts. I come down that way all the time. All
2: right, Carlos. Pleasure to take care of you and to help you over the phone. All right.
7: All right. Have a great day. Let's take
2: one more. Let's go to Steve in Santa Monica. You're on with Dr. Clapper. How can I help?
7: Hey, Dr. Clapper, how are you? I'm 61 years old. I manage a beautiful winery oh, wow. in Agua Dulce, California, oh, wow. and I have a knee issue. Okay.
2: Don't let them give you cortisone shots or stem cells or synvisc or I, no
7: needles into your knee. I have an MRI impression. Can I read it to you? Yes. There is a root tear on the posterior horn of the medial meniscus with medical extrusion of the body of the medial meniscus an
2: adjacent full thickness cartridge lock. That's the key. So wait, wait, wait. So what you just described in the beginning of the sentence was a mechanic saying how bad my brake pad was. But all of a sudden, at the end of the sentence, and by the way, it's medial, not medical, in terms of the displacement, but it just tells us the direction it's going in. But that was all a lot of talk, I'm trying to think of a wine uh, metaphor for you right now, but but I'll keep talking. I'm the only—I can actually talk and think at the same time, which is really shocking. But you are describing in the beginning of that sentence all of the brake pad, but it was then at the end of the sentence, remember when you said high-grade cartilage loss? That's when the mechanic just told you, by the way, you got a crack in your rotor. Are you gonna let that a, mechanic touch your brake pad? Give you a new sell you a new brake pad? No, don't give me new linoleum in the kitchen if the termites ate the floorboards. So you, no shots, but no arthroscopy. Do not let them talk you into, hey, we'll just clean it up. It's outpatient. It ain't gonna work. Don't let them do that to you. That doesn't mean you have to have surgery. Doesn't mean you need an implant. You may, and it'll be my pleasure to help you. But you get that book I wrote with Linda Yuey, Heal Your Knees. You go, buy yourself a Schwinn spinning bike. You do your best to strengthen your muscles above and below your knee. If you get full extension and full flexion and strengthen the quad, to hamstring, the calf muscle, you undo the stress in your knee, you will be able to avoid an implant. But if not, I've you'll had, only I've be had, stronger.
7: I've had physical therapy for 12 weeks. It has not helped. And I'm having an appointment with my first surgeon consultant on Monday. Okay. So are we looking at a full? Are we looking at a full replacement?
2: I don't know. At 61, I'd love. To, I mean, I'd have to see it to be able to tell you whether you're a candidate for a unicompartmental. If there's any pathology that I could feel behind your kneecap, then the answer is no. Then you're going to need an implant, and you really need your knee resurfaced. Go on my website. You'll see a lady riding a bicycle in the neighborhood the day after the surgery. You'll get inspired. But other than that, get an opinion and get a second opinion. It'll be my pleasure to help you if you need it.
7: Dr. Clapper, thank you so much. All right,
2: God bless you. Hey, Stephen, you're a total stranger to me. You find a total stranger today, you do something nice for them. That's how you'll be thanking me.
7: Thank you, pal. Take care.
2: Okay, God bless you. All right, Warriors, let's talk about next week. I don't think I have time for any more calls. All the callers, listen, call at 7 30 next week. I'll be you'll be first in line. I'll take you, I promise. We've got like all the lines are lit up. What a pleasure. What a pleasure it is to do this show with Steve Paulette every Saturday morning. Next week is going to be fascinating. My guest writes children's books, Paul Karafotis. He's terrific. But it made me think all week. I'm already thinking about it getting into the mind of a child in sports and in art. Well, nobody did it in art, in my opinion, than Jim Henson, who made the Muppets. He was a puppeteer, and puppeteers are usually in the world of children. But Jim Henson didn't start in the world of children. He got called by the lady who started Sesame Street once he was already making a hit for himself with ads with puppets for adults. But when he got the chance to work with children, he changed the world forever with the Muppets on Sesame Street. And what about in sports? Who understood children and athletics in children better than anybody else in my lifetime? Well, you remember the Olympics and the perfect 10 in gymnastics? Nadia Comaneci. Or a Romanian girl, the first one to get perfect tens. Her coach did not come from the world of gymnastics. He was an athlete, but when you talk, when you learn about the life of he and his wife, the gymnastics coaches for USA gymnastics, you're gonna understand the mindset of kids in sports and how he worked it. Until then, I leave you with Volare. Coming up next is Kirk Morrison and the best football show on the radio. It's called L.A. Gridiron Weekly. Until then, I leave you with Volare and I'll see you on the radio.
5: on Facebook. Didn't you get the memo? Quickly here, Clapper's crazy kitchen stories. Easily find different callers' aches and pain issues.
2: Right, I get it.
5: Search Weekend Warrior in the search bar and click on Doc's picture. Who are you again? Voila!
0: Like, follow, and enjoy the Weekend Warrior Facebook page.